Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. We're in a vision series as a church called Only God, where we're discovering that the plans and the dreams that we have for our lives are often small compared to what God desires to do in and through us. Enjoy the message. So we're going Acts 2. That's where we were last week. I said that we would, this would go quicker, but it's not. So Acts 1, week 1, first, verse, first, first eight verses, we kind of hung out on verse 8. Last weekend, uh, if you're new to this passage and just everything that's going on, so uh, God so loved you that he sent Jesus. Jesus comes and he stands on our behalf and he lives a perfect life, the Bible tells us. And the reason why that matters is because the Bible also tells us that he imputes to you his righteousness. So when you come to faith in Christ or you surrender your life to Jesus, that he actually gives you in exchange for your brokenness and your sin and just kind of your own life, he, he gives you his perfected life. And so when God sees you, he sees his son and he sees that you're a son or a daughter and you're standing in the place of Christ. And so Jesus, he gives you over to a perfect life, but then he dies on our behalf Bible tells us to offer us forgiveness of sins and the grace that comes along with the cross, but it doesn't stop there. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. How many of y'all are glad that we serve a God who didn't stay in the tomb? Come on, is there anybody in here today that's just, yeah, he's alive. So implications, you and I have victory in Christ over death, hell, grave, sin, brokenness, pain, like anything life throws at you. And Jesus promises that life will throw it at you. So I'm not saying like your life's going to be, I'm saying Jesus says, Hey, in this life, you will have many troubles. You'll have many trials. Take heart. I've overcome all that. And so the, there's, it changes everything. Like for us as a people, our faith is centered on an event. And it's the resurrection of Jesus. We said this week one, it was the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And then week two, the power of the Holy spirit that really is the catalyst for all that we do as a church. Everything we do as a church is off of that. And so if it's not in that vein, then we're just kind of missing the mark and we're just kind of going through the motions. And, and, uh, and it's so cool because when Peter, who denied Christ, so six weeks pre-Pentecost, which is where we were last week, Peter denies Jesus publicly. Like he's just having a hard time telling people he's team Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, like I know that guy. And then six weeks later, because he's experienced a resurrected Jesus and because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, he preaches boldly, but he preaches a message of grace. Different message. They ain't never heard that message before. Preaches a message of grace. 3,000 people come alive in Jesus. Now, if you look, the first time that the law is preached in your Bible in Exodus 32, the first time that Moses steps up, preaches the law, 3,000 people die. First time that grace is preached and a resurrected Jesus is preached, 3,000 people come alive. That's a better message. Okay, so if, for those of you that are struggling with, like, dead religion and works and I got to be good enough and I got to, like, try hard enough and I got to, like, doesn't work, I promise you, okay? And so the, the, the real message is all of my hope is in Jesus. His faithfulness, his work, his effort, his strength, his death, his resurrection, not my goodness. Not saying, not saying that you can't grow in that or become like Christ in that and, and love and serve people around you. 
I'm just saying it's not your salvation. He is. And so that's where everything starts off uh, in Acts 2. I don't even know where I'm at. And so, uh, so all these people come to faith in Christ. These over 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Just to encourage you, it's still a thing that God's doing. Like it didn't stop in Acts. In a three-week period as a church, we've had 29 people make a decision for Jesus. We had over 30 people register for that. Y'all can clap for life changing what God's doing. And that's the work. This is the reason why we call this series Only God, because that's the work that only he can do. Only he can do it. And so um, last, last week, for example, we had Aaron, who she had made a decision for Jesus. We had this out behind the coffee bar. This, we just put this up two weeks ago. But some of you are wondering what it is. So uh, it's all these uh, light bulbs that aren't lit up. And then when people make a decision for Jesus, they'll fill out a next steps card. They start to tell us their story. And we're like, hey, would you want to go you know, public with that and just tell people your story of what God's done in your life? And she goes and she lights up a bulb. And so uh, there's a bunch of bulbs out there already lit up. But just to celebrate what God's doing uh, here at our church, but just globally as a church, this is only his work. And uh, that's what we see in the book of Acts. And today we're going to be in, again, I promised, keep it short, uh, verse 42 through verse 47, primarily hitting 42. So church, people, people came to faith in Christ, gave their lives to Jesus, went public with baptism. They're like, all right, what's next? You know what I mean? Like, what would we do next? And this is what the first, this is what the early church looks like in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted. Devoted. And I think that's the thing that kind of sets apart um, the early church. One of the things that sets apart the early, early church is a real focus on the main things. Again, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you see churches that are struggling, it's generally because they have forgotten to preach the message that it is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then two... Uh, they're devoted. So they're committed to the Great Commission. It's not a great suggestion. It's a Great Commission. And they're committed to it, and they're devoted to it, which means, and I love it because the Bible says they devoted themselves, which means they had a part to play. Like God was doing things that only he can get credit for, but their part was devotion. Their part was showing up. I'm going to keep going. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, everyone who was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily, not just on Sunday, daily those who were being saved. And, and so if you're taking notes, the message, kind of the thing that I see in this part of the passage is that they were devoted to develop. They're devoted to develop. This is what God's call for us is. We've we got to be devoted to develop. Um, everybody loves growth. Everybody loves, every, everyone loves development. Everybody loves, like, you know, personal growth. Everybody wants, everybody wants abs. Nobody wants to do sit-ups. You know what I'm saying? Am I preaching to anybody? Right? So, um, so a couple of Christmases ago, not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before, um, we, 
we were, I was putting up lights in a tree. I've shared this story before. I was putting up Christmas lights in a tree, fell out of the tree. Your boy fell out of the tree. Ladder, ladder let go, and I just, there was nothing under me. And all of a sudden, and then my shoulder dislocates. I fall. I, I like, lay over this ladder. And I'm primarily concerned. This will tell you a lot about me. I'm not even concerned about my physical health at this point or whether or not I'm like broken, but did anybody see that is really what I'm concerned about. And so like I'm laying on this ladder, my arms dislocated. I'm like literally looking to see if my neighbors are judging me. And then, uh, and then I waddle to the front door, ring the doorbell. Brooke thinks I've been shot. And, uh, Anna, our oldest via YouTube tutorial puts my, puts my arm back in. Cause Brooke was like, I ain't dealing with that. And so she puts my arm back in. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, real sore, kind of angry at myself, feel stupid, embarrassed, but I'm like, we got to get this, we got to get this shoulder situation working. You know, I got things to do. And, uh, uh, and, and so I go to the doctor or whatever, and I'm talking to people and they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be a process. You got to rehab. It's going to take months. Like you got to, I did the muscle RX thing and the chiropractor, I saw our chiropractor last service, chiropractor thing, you know, massage therapy, whatever it is, but it was like a weekly thing. It wasn't, it wasn't, I went one time and good to go. And like, it was, I had to, I had to devote myself. I had to discipline myself. I had to commit myself to rehab. And some of us, I would say majority, if not all, all of us have trauma. All of us have past wounds. All of us have self-inflicted wounds, brokenness, sin in our life, things that have been done to us, things that we did to ourselves. And our expectation is that we're going to come on a Sunday and experience Christ. And then all that's going to get like freed up, healed up, and like, I'm good to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and except it's a process. Like, fa- sanctification, becoming made into the image of Christ. Same God who saves you, sanctifies you. And, and salvation can happen in a moment. Sanctification, sanctification is a lifetime. It's a process. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a process. And, so, and if you're related to some of these people, you're like, I know, because you are jacked up. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> But, but, but it's a process, and, and, and following Jesus and becoming more like him is, is what we're after. And he tells us in Acts 2, 42, okay, I came to faith in Christ. Okay, I got baptized. I had this real big day. It was awesome. What do I do now? Like, what, what are we doing? What's the play? And, and let's break it down. Look at verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers and just real quick, back to devotion. I love that this whole word devotion, I think, is like it needs to hit today. Because our level of devotion is really conditional on how much you realize God's devoted to you. Like he's devoted to you first. You didn't think of that. Like he devoted himself to you. He committed to you. He laid his son uh, on the cross and then he paid the penalty for our sins first while you were still a sinner. Not when you were doing everything right, but when you were at your worst. And then our devotion is really all about our realization of how much God is devoted to us. That's it. So it's not, again, it's not works-based. It's not law-based. It's not, I got to punch through this list or I got to be good enough. It's, man, look how much God loves me. That's wild. And then all of a sudden, instead of operating out of a sense of obligation, man, I have to love people. Uh, like, a, you know, I got I to gotta show up. I got to pray. I got to give. I got to serve. All of, a, all of a sudden it becomes, look what I get to be a part of because of how much God loves me. And then people are willing to give their lives over, give their lives over to that message. 
And so devotion is where it all starts. And then just to get real practical with you, he says this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to what specifically? To the apostles' teaching. That is, they devoted themselves to God's word. And so uh, the reason why it says apostles' teaching is because you and I have the whole canon of Scripture. You and I have the complete Bible, the, the New Testament. They're writing the New Testament at this time. <laughs> so their message is the message of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And then they give context to the Old Testament in light of the resurrection of Jesus. But they weren't rocking with what you and I are rocking with. We were without, without excuse. Like God has spoken, we have his whole his whole word in our hands, but the apostles teaching for you and I, that's what that looks like is it looks like being devoted to God's word. And I love it because when I used to read um, this passage, I used to think that what really mattered was that it was the apostles teaching. Like when I was a kid growing up, I was like, all right, well, apostles, that's a big deal. But what hit, what mattered wasn't who was delivering the mail. What mattered was the message itself. The reason why the apostles teaching was different is because nobody had a message like that. Nobody had a message like that message. Nobody had a good news like that good news. And so what made it hit was they had experienced resurrected Christ and they had a message that was entirely new and it was true. And, and so I love it because um, the amazing thing about truth is it hits regardless of who delivers truth. Like, I don't know if your kids ever rebuke you or if it's just me, but like our five-year, like, you know, like when our kids are growing up, they say something, they'll be like, remember when you said this, Dad? And I'm like, dang, right? Is it just me? And, and then they check you, and then they correct you, and then they're like, but the Bible says, like, calm down, you know what I'm saying? So, but like, they're, but they're, you know, because it's true. Um, and you don't even have to like the person. I don't know if you've had this moment. Maybe somebody you work with, somebody on your ball team, somebody you just didn't really like that much. It was like, I don't like you. But then they, but then they delivered truth, and you were like, dang it, that's true. You know, because it just hits. It doesn't matter who's delivering truth. And so they devoted themselves to God's word. And I think devoted looks like, uh, it looks a couple, like a couple of different things. Devoted means I'm devoted to the principle that this is true for my life, regardless of whether my feelings or my opinions align with it. So I have to really shelve my opinions, shelve my feelings, shelve whatever the broader culture may say, and just say, God's word's true for my life. And I'm devoting myself to that. I'm actually going to put my weight on it. I'm going to trust and actually try it out and, and really put my full weight on it and trust God at his word. So that's one way that they devoted themselves. Another way is that they devoted themselves in terms of the commitment, the, the discipline, the consistency of continuing to come back to what God has said. So it's the daily discipline of, hey, I'm going to spend time in God's word because I need it. One, it's active. So guess what? What he said to you yesterday, he got a new thing for you today. So it's like he's just going to spend time talking to you, communicating to you through his word is what the Bible tells us. And the more that we devote ourselves to that, the more that we become more like Christ. And so it's such a big deal that the Bible, Old and New Testament, says this. This is Deuteronomy 6. It says, um, these commandments that I give you today are to be put on your hearts. you got to download scripture internally. Like the whole idea is, is not that you would just read the Bible, but that you would let it read you. Like you just got to spend some time and just let it hit. And it says, impress them on your children. Hey, if you got kids, talk to them about the Bible. Talk to them when you're at home, when you're out on the road, when you're walking, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
put that junk everywhere is basically what it's saying. And when I, when I was growing up in my house, my mom would always do um, index cards, which I thought was super annoying when I was young, but like really grateful for it now. She would do index cards and she would put all the verses that she wanted everybody to see in the bathroom mirror, on the fridge, wherever we were, high traffic areas, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I know they're going to the fridge, smack, you know. And then she got a little passive aggressive with it. So if you were struggling with certain things, she'd write down that scripture, be like, bam, hit, it on, hit you on your door, in your car, you know. But she took Deuteronomy 6 to be true, like, hey, put God's word everywhere. And then Philippians 3, 1, Paul says this. This is so good. Paul says, man, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Paul's like, I've been writing the same things to you jerkers. Read all my letters. They say pretty much the same thing. It's no trouble for me to write the same things again, and it's a safeguard for you. You need a consistency. You need a devotion. You need a commitment to come back to what you're like, I already know that. Yeah, but you forgot. And guess what? Tomorrow, you're going to need it again. And, and if you're like me, in 10 minutes, you're going to need it again. So it's like, just come back to it. Be devoted to it. So they devoted themselves to God's word, but they also devoted themselves to the fellowship, is what it says in verse 42. So it says, uh, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, which is they devoted, they were devoted to each other. So they're devoted to the people inside of this church family. And they gave themselves, I love the language, they gave themselves over to each other, which is a huge part of the whole idea of the local church, that you wouldn't attend an event, but that you would give yourself over to one another. I don't know if you know this, the New Testament imperative is one another. Love one another, serve one another, you know, submit to one another, honor one another, just one another, one another, in the name of Jesus. And, and a lot of church hurt and a lot of church problems comes because practically we're just not good at that. We're not, good at, we're not good at giving ourselves over. But you need a group of people who are, you're in covenant with. And, uh, and so the circumstances don't matter so much as that there's this real, there's this uh, shared faith in Jesus. And you're in covenant with one another. So it's like you're my family. And I don't get to choose who's in my family. God chose who's in my family. You know, you got those weird extended family that you hang out with at Christmas and Thanksgiving, and you're like, how did they end up in our, but they're still your family, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and they think the same thing of you. And so, like, but you just hang out with each other, and it's just, but that's, that's God's design. And, and the whole idea is that you're meant to do life and faith in the context of community. You can't follow Jesus in isolation. You can't follow Jesus alone. If you've tried, it does not work. There's no biblical precedent for it either. So coming off of COVID, everybody was like, we got it. We got the hack. We'll do church online. Church online. I just watch YouTube. It'll be amazing. Uh, I can watch five sermons instead of one, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the same as being the local church. And you got to do that in community. So OD on YouTube, preacher YouTube. So, okay, that's great. And like all that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying, Church hits different because it's a together activity. They met in big, massive groups. So temple courts, literally there's thousands of people. People, people bothered with church growth, and it's like, bro, God did in a day. You know, like 3,000 people were added to their number. There wasn't that many to begin with. And so 3,000 people roll up, get baptized, and they're like, now what? And so, but the, the, the way that that looks from, hey, we had this moment, it looks like they begin to function as a family, begin to do life and faith together over and over again. You'll see this phrasing in this passage. It says, together they were praising God. Together in their homes, 
together going to the temple. It's almost like together is better. Like it's almost like that's the whole idea. And that's for us, our vision as a church is we grow large, we have to grow smaller at the same time because you can hide behind a cup of coffee. You could do superficial hellos for a period of time. But at some point you're like, I wish somebody would know my name. You know what I'm saying? I wish somebody would stop calling me buddy cuz or hey girl or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I wish someone would just call me by my name, know what's going on, know that I have children. Like they don't even aware that, you know, that I'm married. Like you just need people who know where you're at, who can walk alongside of you. And that's, we see this in the early church. We're not making it up. So like when we talk about groups, you're all like, oh, here you go on the groups again. Like just, uh, you know, but it's house to house ministry and the greatest amount of breakthrough in your life is going to happen in the context of relationship. You're going to hear stuff like this and God's going to speak to you through things like this, through his word and gatherings like this. But I promise you, greatest area of breakthrough in your, everybody who's getting baptized today is doing so because of relational breakthrough. There's a handful of people in their life. Who, who just brought them to church, bought them a Bible, shared Christ with them, prayed for them, did whatever they could to kind of get them to this moment. I promise you, like for us, in order for you to go where God wants you to go, you can't do it alone. You have to do it together. And so um, the way that looks for them in this passage, that they devoted themselves to each other. And it uses this language, they gave themselves to each other which I think is a really key, because some of y'all have tried groups, but you're like, it's just not for me. I just don't like groups. It's just, uh, it's just weird. It's just hard. But try groups this way, okay? Try it on this way. In a group, give yourself away. The problem for most of us is that we evaluate every aspect of our life in terms of what we get out of it, except the early church gave themselves to the others. And so it wasn't so much about their comfort or their familiarity or their pleasure or any of that. It was just, what can I do to serve these people? And it works in a small group. It works like everywhere. Just like walk in the room and just be like, what can I do to serve these people? And then watch what happens as you take on that posture. It just hits different. So they devoted themselves to each other, but they were also diverse. Verse 5 of this passage says that there were people from every nation under heaven with different cultures, different backgrounds, different economic, economic bins. And, hey, I grew up on this side of the tracks, and I grew up on this side of the tracks, and, you know, different ethnicities, all this type of thing. And, I, and, and some of you, because we've kind of tailored church this way, where we've built, uh, we've marketed, hey, find your specific thing that you're after. So find the people that look like you, same season of life as you, like the same team that you like, whatever. And, and we have a tendency to drift towards people that, that do look like us, sound like us. You know, this is, the, this is the way we drift naturally. Oh, but the early church, the early church didn't give a rip. And the early church hit so much harder because there was diversity and there was uncommon unity in Jesus so all the things that make people used to just kind of like look like the high school cafeteria begin to get humbled, humbled underneath the name of Jesus. And, and you had young and old and rich and poor and black and white and everything in between. Everybody's at the table going, this is different. And everybody looking on the outside in was like, that's different. That's definitely different. And so God used it as a form of evangelism. He drew people in. Not only was it diversity, but it was also generosity. Look at verses 44 through 46 of this same passage. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. There's that big church gathering, but also house to house, small group ministry. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. This is generous people. Radical generosity marked the early church. And, and I want to celebrate, like, for us as a church, we're growing in the grace of giving. Like, God's doing a really cool thing in our hearts. But, again, this is, only, this is what only God can do. Just in the same way that he saves you, he sanctifies you. And I can't obligate, nor do I want to, obligate you to give or grow in the grace of giving. God has to get a hold of us in this area to be willing to live in an open-handed way. And so um, I talk to people all the time who struggle with the whole principle of tithing. They're like, bro, that's Old Testament, bro. Old. They're like, I'm a grace giver. I'm a grace giver. I'm like, awesome. Here's grace giving. Acts 2, 44 through 46. They took all their junk, put it in the middle of the room, and they were like, who needs what? And then people were like, you know what? I'm a tithe. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've, Lord just spoke to me in my spirit, you know, and I just all of a sudden now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start tithing. But the whole idea is like we live in a place of affluence. This isn't first century Palestine where, where we're, we're, you know, a minority and a small group of people who are oppressed. Um, we're, we're, you have resources. They maybe didn't have resources. And there's a benevolent side of what we do as a church, but the whole idea is they're radically generous and it's attractive to the point of evangelism. I want to say this. It, ge- generous people are so attractive. If you, ever, if you know people in your life, maybe you have somebody in mind. You just want to hang with them. And it's not even finance. It's just time. Hey, come on in. Hey, I made you something. To eat. It's just like, what is on you? And it's just, it's attractive. And it was attractive to the early church. So they were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to each other. And then look at this in verse 42. It goes on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread. So they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And some of us will read this passage and think, because I did, used to, I used to only think communion. And except if you think about communion, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper and a place to remember his life, death, and resurrection in the context of what? A meal. It's Passover. They're like, I don't know if you've been to a Passover, but like they're getting it. You know what I mean? They're having a good time. Like they're eating, drinking, and they're, they're, they're fellowshipping, and they're like, they're eating a meal together. And he decides, he does, he does it in two ways. Baptism, he says, hey, this is my life and my death and my resurrection in the form of baptism. But also when you break bread together, just remember me in that moment. And so given over to the Lord's Supper communion, and they break bread together. And yes, in the form of communion, but also just breaking bread. Like, you know, think about, think about some of the most meaningful moments in your life and think about how food is attached to those moments. And God's not dumb. Like, he, you know, like he made it so that you eat and like food's a part of it. And so um, this is, I love it because Oxford University, they did a study. And this is Oxford University. They did a study and, and it was called Breaking Bread, the Function of Social Eating. And I love it when like the academic uh, you know, elite and just like the scientific being, like they just kind of align with like, yeah, bro, God's been saying that for like 2,000 years. But let's, so here's what it says. It says, they, they said in their study that it showed that communal eating increases well-being. Eating in a group of people. And it doesn't matter if it's a snack or a feast. So it doesn't matter the amount, you know, like, um, you know, some peanut butter on some bread, 
you know what I'm saying, and a Diet Coke, hello, or, or, or like, a, you know, like a big spread, you know what I mean, like just going to grandma's house, that type of thing, doesn't matter. Eating alone has a pattern, uh, as a pattern, has a health risk, they said. Most people, um, it says people who eat their meals alone are at increased risk, risk for heart disease. Men who dine alone twice a day are at greater risk for metabolic syndrome regardless of weight or diet, doesn't matter how thin you are, doesn't matter if you have a good diet. And, and they also said that food is really this window into our priorities. So part of the reason why it hits is because you realize, oh, man, they made time for me. Hey, we had dinner plans, and they kept those commitments devoted. They, 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 we met for lunch. They made space. We grabbed a coffee. Hey, you know, like we got together over food, and what happens is, like, God begins to do a work as you break bread with people and hear their story. They go on in this study. They said there's nothing more human than sitting down at a table and eating with others while discussing how we feel about our world. I mean, it's too easy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's literally. The, so for some of you, your breakthrough is on the other side of a meal. Your breakthrough is on the other side of getting, getting with the right people that God, again, God will do it. And he'll use their t- testimony of God's faithfulness over a salad you can eat healthy too you know what i'm saying over some hot wings over you fill in the blank with whatever whatever preaches to you but you but you sit across from someone who shares with you what god's doing in their life and it just it just stirs your faith and your affection to hear god's work in in other people's lives and again the more diverse the room the better because you're like oh god's not relegated to like a certain type of person like he kind of owns it all that's pretty amazing and so Here's where they land. So they devoted themselves to God's word. They devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to mealtime. And then verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And so they devoted themselves to prayer. And I think this, um, this is a, it's a big deal for the church in an area that we got to grow. If we're going to grow in the grace of giving, we also have to grow in the area of dependency and humility and grow in just realizing how much we leave on the table when it comes to the things of God. I think about Jesus when he commissions his church and he tells his followers, hey, I want you to wait. You're going to go try and tell the good news to people and you're going to jack it up. He says, I want you to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. But then he tells them one thing to do while they wait. Do you remember what it is? pray which is wild because it's like he could just do it but he's like no I want you to pray while you wait and then I'm going to move in response to your request but I'm but prayer is your participation and then I'll just bring my spirit down like I'm doing things crazy things you can't do but here's your here's your part to play pray so when life gets hard pray when you get bad news pray when you're trying to figure out, hey, this is really, we're struggling relationally, pray. When you, when you don't know whether or not to take the job or the opportunity. I don't know the way, whether we need to move our family. I don't know the way, whether we need to buy the car. Like, pray first. And then watch God do what only God can do. As you are more dependent, as you're more humble, as you're, as you're disciplined and committed to, devoted to prayer. The greatest tragedy in life isn't that our prayers go unanswered, but that they go unasked. So it's like, what is on the other side of prayer? What's on the other side of humility? What's on the other side of dependency on God? Because he's like, I'm just waiting. 
if you would pray, it would be, you know, and, and this is what Jesus says in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be used. It, it will be yours. There's a correlation between your faith and prayer. And Jesus also teaches his followers, hey, I want you to pray. And when you pray, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray, and as you pray, make sure that your heart and your motivation, your agenda is aligned with my agenda because I'm going to honor those prayers. And as you pray and your agenda isn't aligned with my agenda, I'm just going to do some work on you. Okay, so, like, so, so, but when you ask, ask in faith, believing that I'm already answering your prayer. As a matter of fact, if you read a different translation, a different manuscript, that same passage, it says, believe that you are receiving it as if it's like happening, like it's active. So not that I've already, it's already happened, but that it is happening. And the struggle that we have a lot of times is, man, it's not happening in my time. Ooh, you, I'm, I'm impatient. Uh, it's not happening the way that I thought it was going to play out. And, you know, there's just all these different things that we try and control instead of, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to hand you every bit of anxiety. I'm going to hand you every bit of worry. I'm going to hand you every bit of fear. I'm going to hand you my future, and then I'm going to trust you with that. And then he says, I'm already answering. I'm just waiting on you, just waiting on you to pray. But we've got to be devoted. We've got to be a people of prayer. And so we've got to believe that we're receiving it. We have to step out in faith and believe for what we can't see. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and the certainty of what you don't see. And a certainty that God is at work, that he heard me, that he loves me more than I can even understand, and a certainty that God is able, and a certainty that he wants more than I could ask or imagine. So the faith that, hey, if I knew everything that God knows, I would answer the prayer exactly the way that God answers my prayer. Which makes me more dependent, makes me trust him more with my, with my family and with my resources and with my future and with my job and everything but this is what the local church looks like in the beginning of Acts. So they all come to this radical salvation, this place of realizing who they are in relationship to who Jesus is. And they are broken, the passage tells us in Acts chapter two. And then their life and faith, their community is marked by devotion to God's word, to each other, to getting around a table, like that part's real key and some of us aren't doing that. You want spiritual breakthrough, it's on the other side of like breaking bread with one another and then prayer. And that's what marked them. And, and those are really everything that we do as a church is a vehicle for all of that. We want you to be totally dependent on God's word. We wanna build all that we do off of God's word. We want you to be here for one another. Big gatherings like this, small groups, those of you who serve, people who serve, the hundreds of people who serve on our dream team, do so for you. They do so for the person who's not even here yet. People who are parking cars and holding babies and making all this stuff work. Like, I don't, like the hundreds of people who do what they do, they do it because they gave themselves over to the church family. And so this is what God's asking us to do in this season. So just pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what is my, what do you, what do you want me to do with that? What's my marching orders? Where's my area of growth as it relates to Acts 2.42? And then, um, here in a minute, I'm going to pray for us. After we pray, we're going to have a time of worship. People are going to come forward and be baptized. I want to say this. Uh, if you feel like God's asking you to be baptized, um, we want to, as a church family, cover you in that, pray for you. If you need explanation, definition, I know many of you are already there, but we, we got you. 
And so the team's going to step out to be baptized. But, um, but also, we want to celebrate everybody who's making that decision. So let's not be distracting. Let's not dip out early. Let's just really, it's just nuts. Like the Bible tells us when one person comes to faith in Christ, all of heaven rejoices. Like, don't give us a golf clap. Like, y'all, y'all holler, y'all get loud. And um, you can get loud now, but when they get baptized, for sure, okay, is what I'm saying. But I'm going to close this in prayer. Just be thinking about what we talked about today. What's that mean for me? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you love us. God, grateful for oh, sending your son and your love made manifest in Jesus, his perfect life that you impute to us. You give us credit for his perfection in our brokenness, in our weakness, and it's humbling. And, and you died for us. You gave us over to uh, this grace message, this good news. God, you give us over to a place of forgiveness. And not when we had it all together, but when we were at our worst, you died on our behalf. And then you rose from the grave so that we could experience new life, freedom, joy, real purpose attached to your promises, your truth, your word, not our agenda. God, help us to just set our lives to the side, really step in fully for all that you paid for. So grateful for the ways that you worked in the early church and how we are still just a continuation of that movement. Jesus, you started a wave 2,000 years ago, and we're, we're, we're still here. You promised to build one thing, and we're still here. Would you remind us of what we forgot, of why we're here, what life is about? Would you give us over to a devotion for your word, for one another, for getting around a table for prayer together, for doing life and faith together in the context of community? And then you're going to do miracles and, and awe is going to come on us. And amazing things are going to happen as we're faithful to what you've already given us direction in your word. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and I'm not talking about trying to be good enough in your own strength. And I'm not talking about attending a church service. I'm talking about you have gone all in and surrendered your life to Christ and said, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. And it's that moment, salvation is the moment that you realize who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. And you realize you're a sinner and you're broken and you're in need of a savior. And Jesus is that savior and he is that Lord. And it's a moment where you just decide to go all in. Bible tells us when you have that moment, when your faith is stirred in such a way that you finally experience Christ for who he is, that the Bible also tells us to confess him as Lord. So with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you today and you want to surrender your life to Christ, you want to experience salvation through him, would you just lift your hand in the room and just say, that's for me. I want to come alive in Jesus. I want to lay down my agenda. I want to step into his. You just lift your hand if that's you. Amen. Is there anybody else? It's a moment for you to confess, a moment for you to be real with God. Awesome. For those that are making that decision, you just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I repent, I'm turning from my own selfish ways, my own agenda, I'm stepping into the one that you have for me. You want better for me than I want for myself and I'm trusting you with that. So would you take all of my shame and my fear and brokenness and just my sin, my past, present and future, would you take that, what you've already paid for, and I just wanna lay that at your feet. I don't wanna pay for it again, you've already paid for it. And God, would you lead me moving forward? Would you lord over my life? God, by your word and by your spirit, would you lead and direct me? Help me to become more like you. Give me over to a devotion so that I can 
make an impact on the people around me so that I can adequately love well all that I come into contact with. Lord, we love you. We celebrate you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen. Let's stand to our feet, church.